Hello, I'm Dr. Tess Laurie. Welcome to Tess Talks. is fraught with controversy and is potentially hazardous, hazardous to our health and the environment. Today I'm joined by Dr. Beverly Rubick, who's a biophysicist, a former professor, research scientist and administrator, to discuss the issues around 5G and how we can protect ourselves. Dr. Rubick, you're very welcome. How are you today? I'm great and it's wonderful to be here with you, Tess. Can you start off by telling me what made you interested in doing 5G research? Well, I'm an expert in the human energy field, the biofield. And all along, we've been subjected to increasing amounts of microwaves with each generation of cell phone and routers. So we already had 4G, and I saw what that was doing to the blood because I was conducting live blood analysis and research for some 25 years. And suddenly people's blood looked horrific. The red blood cells were clumped together, sometimes stacked together like rolls of coins in what we call rouleau. Uh, and I know that this does not circulate very well. The whole microcirculation, which is some 85% of your blood vessels, uh, can't cope with red blood cells stuck together. The cells have to go single file. So circulation would be dreadfully compromised. And people were experiencing symptoms such as uh, memory problems, poor concentration, sleep difficulties, increasingly in our population. So I was aware of this and wondered if there was a relationship. And then when I heard about 5G, which was going to be really transforming the entire Earth, terraforming it into a completely unnatural electromagnetic environment, I was horrified because there had been no environmental review and we didn't know the effects on humans or animals or plants. And they were just going to start putting up some thousands of satellites as well as millions of antennas and masts with, uh, with more and more radiation impinging upon us. And so uh, I began to research it and realized that this is one of the greatest threats to humanity that had come along in my lifetime. But can you explain why does 5G differ so much from 4G and 3G and 2G? Well, it's about magnitude, because with 5G, they talk about the Internet of Things. In other words, everything that you own that's running out of ba uh, electricity uh, they want it hooked to the Internet. This is called the Internet of Things and also a wireless worldwide web. In other words, the entire globe would be broadcasting wireless waves, even our national parks, our deepest forests, every region. And we would be exposed much more to microwaves from the plethora of antennas of some 40,000 satellites blasting the earth with radiation as well. And all these, this internet of things around us, the self-driving cars that are promised to us. And of course, it's sold to people saying, well, you can download your movies faster. You're going to have faster internet. Isn't that great? But the consequences of that to our health are extremely questionable, if not downright dangerous. But what do we know about the safety? of 5G in particular? 
You know, it's interesting. There was uh, one of our senators um, in U.S. Congress, Senator Blumenthal, back in 2019, held a, a hearing in the Senate. And he brought in the industry and he asked them, um, is 5G safe? What studies do you have to show safety? And they said, we have none. And he was flabbergasted and said, well, why is that? And they said, well, we're, we're simply following the U.S. guidelines. And as long as we stay under the guidelines, uh, we're okay. We're legal. So there are no studies really worldwide. There are a lot of studies on, shall we say, a frequency of this and that. But when we talk about the compilation of all these different frequencies and modulations and pulsations from billions of new devices, we don't have any studies. And by the way, every country has its own guidelines, and there are no universal safety standards. And that's a serious question, because we know that developing organisms like children and fetuses in the womb are always more sensitive to radiation. So we're in the dark. We don't know uh, how safe it will be for whom and when. And the, the other thing is, our exposure to radiation, even this type of non-ionizing radiation, has cumulative damage in the body, just like ionizing radiation, like x-rays and cosmic rays. Uh, you know, people wear a dosimeter and they're concerned about ongoing exposure, those who work with these frequencies. But here we are exposing everyone on Earth, all the animals and plants, to increasing doses of microwaves and going to make it whole, whole Earth uh, terraformed. I mean, it's unbelievable, really. It's absolutely shocking and and quite frightening, really, as much as uh, one doesn't want to make anyone afraid of anything. It really feels like um, this is something that's just crept up on us. And now it's totally ubiquitous. And everywhere you go, you see new masts going up and roads being dug up and new cables laid. And it just seems uh, unstoppable. Do you see a time when um, when it won't be safe to be outdoors in a city? Does that sound crazy? Should we be moving to the country? Well, there are more and more people that are becoming electro-hypersensitive. You know, we're all energy beings. We're actually electrochemical in nature. So we should expect a sensitivity to build. I don't see that people can easily adapt to this radiation, and here's why. It isn't just continuous, nice microwaves uh, in this configuration, but it's extremely rapid pulses of microwaves on and off and on and off. Uh, and let me give you an analogy. If I go to the light switch and flip it on and off and on and off in some random sequence very rapidly, you would hate it, and your eyes, you, you, you can't adapt to a flashing light. In the same way, your body cannot adapt to a highly pulsed microwave signal or many signals around you. And we do see more and more electrohypersensitivity, but often health practitioners don't know about this and they simply medicate people. People come in with headaches or with insomnia, with poor concentration. They're put on a bunch of drugs instead of understanding the cause and trying to work to eliminate or reduce the, the the radiation exposure. So I do think we're going to see increasing amounts of electrosensitivity. We already do see that. And now it's estimated that some 30% of the of the US population is has some problem with 
microwave. Um, it's certainly with it being so ubiquitous, it's certainly so difficult to, and, and with a lack of awareness among health professionals, it's very, very difficult for, um, you know, to, to um, identify what the cause is and, and to, to, to get appropriate advice. So people, as you say, are getting all sorts of medications that potentially are, uh, are just treating the symptom and not the cause. And just, you know, when one just look, considers how many young people are on antidepressants and anxiolytics, um, one has to wonder, um, you know, whether a part of that, that could be ameliorated if they were removed from the, this intense um, radiation. Yes, I agree. And one of the things that I'd like to see um, are clear zones. You know, we have um, just the way we have a place for smokers to smoke in certain airports. It used to be all the smoke was in the airport. And now it's concentrated in certain places. Uh, what if we had some clear zones where we had some shielding uh, and people also could do this to their homes or or maybe a, a bigger areas like a ranch? That's one of my dreams is to make a clear zone ranch and then see see it copied and made elsewhere in the world, a large area where um, there are no wireless devices. Everything is wired, and yet we can be high-tech. We could use infrared radiation, for example, for, for our wireless signals. That would be over short distances, say, in a local area network. Instead of uh, 60 gigahertz, which really scares me, that's the frequency that they've decided will be used for local area networks because it's absorbed by oxygen. But what's that going to do to organisms like us that breathe, which is most most of life? <laughs> uh, nobody knows. There's no studies on it. So, again, um, uh, yes, we're going to need clear zones, I think. And I hope to see people setting up uh, places like that, not only in their homes, but larger scale. And the electrosensitive people can go there and people can learn about how it feels to be back in a natural environment. Mm, that is so important. And actually, if it is anything like the smoking, uh, when they started making clear zones or, you know, restaurants that were non-smoking, it ends up being, uh, you know, the, they end up being so jam-packed and crowded with people that it needs to be extended. And then, in, in fact, it was smoking, uh, zones that were set aside and you couldn't smoke, uh, broad, uh you know, in, in the, pu in public spaces. Um, so uh, I could imagine the same thing would happen was that once one realized that there were these clear zones and one felt so much better in those clear zones, that the need um, for them would be would be obvious and um, the need for, you know, widespread reduction in radio frequency radiation. So um, thank, thanks very much for raising that. Uh, now, I first came across your work um, or became aware of you because of a controversial paper that you published. And I, I doubt you thought it was it was going to be so controversial at the time, but you had great difficulty publishing your paper, which was um, really provided, it was about evidence for a connection between COVID and exposure to radio frequency radiation. I think you were saying something along the lines of people exposed to um, radio frequency radiation when they got COVID would experience worse symptoms. Was that or was there more to it than that? Well, that's part of it. Uh, we also said the prevalence of, of COVID-19 may be exacerbated as well by the rollout of 5G, which was just beginning around the time of uh, the beginning of the pandemic. 
But what was interesting is that uh, Wuhan, China, already was the model city of 5G. 5G was fully rolled out at the end of October 2019. And so we're told this is the place where COVID began. So that raised uh, a thought in my mind. But then taking a look at certain maps of the distribution of networks, even 4G networks worldwide, and how COVID spread, uh, there was a total similarity between those regions of the world, uh, Northern Italy, uh, South Korea, uh, Los Angeles area, Seattle, of uh, Silicon Valley, and certain other parts of the world were first hit hard with COVID-19. But those are the regions where the network, uh, wireless networks density was also very high, including the rollout in part of 5G. So then uh, I also did a study back in 2014 on cell phone exposure that led me to make a connection here. And that is, just to say briefly, I was looking at how people exposed to cell phone radiation with a cell phone worn in a backpack, what changes might occur in the blood. So I had people come in fasted and refraining from using wireless for a few hours, and then put a cell phone in a readiness mode, turned on but not being used, in a backpack for just 45 minutes, which they wore while reading a book in my office. And then I took another blood test, and lo and behold, I saw incredibly sticky red blood cells clumped together, often in these snaky formations called rouleau. And um, and further use of the cell phone, another 45 minutes of holding the phone and working with it, I saw even more adverse changes in the blood, balling up of the red blood cells and spikiness uh, called echinocytes, uh, spiky red blood cells, again, which both of these formations do not circulate very well in the micro capillaries. And so nine out of 10 people in my study showed that, irregardless of age. And when I recognized that COVID-19 was not just an ordinary respiratory disease, but might even be considered a vascular disease because of the clotting problems um, inside the vessels. And um, I said, there might be a connection here. And I started to look at, uh, understand more about this new disease, reading the literature on it, and recognize that some of the changes due to wireless are very, very similar to the symptoms of COVID. Uh, not just the blood changes, but disruption of the immune system. Uh, COVID shows this in, in, in advanced cases like cytokine storms and hyperinflammation. Uh, COVID also had hypoxia and hypoxemia, lack of oxygen in the blood and in the body, and people were suffering with respiratory aspects. And of course, if your blood is not circulating and is hypercoagulating, and over the long term, actually, wireless exposure can diminish uh, even red blood cell count and hemoglobin. So it could exacerbate uh, what was going on with COVID. And another similarity was oxidative stress. Uh, both COVID as well as wireless exposure can cause the formation of what we call free radicals, highly reactive uh, biochemical species that go on to attack uh, the biomolecules and the organs in the body and can lead to the kind of serious cases of COVID, of COVID with even organ death, organ malfunction. Uh, and then there's also um, the calcium levels in cells uh, 
radiation, microwave radiation will actually increase calcium inside the cells by disrupting regulators on the cell membranes. And when calcium goes up, it allows viruses to come into the cells more readily to replicate and to move out and infect other cells. That's true of um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus as well as just about every virus. So exposure to radiation microwaves will raise this calcium level and make you more vulnerable to viral infections. And finally, there are also cardiac uh, symptoms that are similar in terms of arrhythmias as well as um, cardiomyopathies. And later we learned that it was uh, myocarditis was associated with COVID and also now the COVID injections. So there were all these similarities. And we saw how the exposure to radiation then may actually exacerbate the, the COVID disease and also increase the prevalence of it because it might increase this viral entry, uptake, and proliferation. Yeah, gosh. Um, I, you know, a lot of people uh, at the beginning of COVID or certainly during the 2020 were, were disputing the the viral theory for COVID and saying, I mean, I remember hearing about the 5G theory um so what you're saying is it, it's you're not disputing the the viral theory you're saying that it potentially increases the uptake of the virus or are you saying in actual fact that the symptoms could be due to micro, microwave radiation um altogether well I don't think it's just due to microwave radiation because here's the evidence there are some regions of the earth that do not have a lot of uh, microwave networks, for example, Africa um, and rural parts of uh, the world that are not heavily networked with microwaves. So yet, eventually they got COVID there, not initially. The spread was initially where the network density was high, but because COVID could spread to other regions where there were no networks, then you have to think it's not just about wireless exposure. Instead, I'm looking at that epidemiological triangle. There's an agent, a pathogen, there's the environmental factors, and there's the health of the host. And these three categories of factors are what we should consider really for any disease. And that's standard epidemiology. In fact, it's on the website of the CDC. So I thought naturally, uh, pointing to an environmental a possible environmental factor for COVID would be accepted and uh, people would start thinking about it in terms of trying to turn this thing around, reducing exposure to wireless. But in, in fact, I found it extremely difficult to publish this paper because the official narrative was virus, 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 and a little bit about the health of the host, so certain comorbidity factors, maybe obesity and diabetes. But nobody was talking about possible environmental factors, which was amazing to me because the pandemic wasn't going away. And yet um, the focus was all about the virus, essentially, and in the official narrative, and which was tightly controlled by certain agents, agencies, the uh, World Health Organization, the CDC, and, and other local organizations that that held tight this official narrative that we must pay attention to the virus, uh, essentially, and, and forget about the environment, 
but that's just not standard epidemiology. So why was that so? Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely. was uh, strange. It's wonderful to be able to have this very open, frank conversation with you without being labeled a conspiracy theorist, because you know it seems that people are, are um, have been encouraged to not question and not you know be able to um, to give air to these uh, uncertainties and different theories. And I think it's important that we do so. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, a lot of people who've been injected, we can say inoculated with the COVID-19 vaccines, um, have ex- are, continue to get COVID and have a number of other um, symptoms, very um, diverse and, and wide-ranging and complex symptoms uh, too. Uh, and I just wondered, do you think... Um, Wi-Fi or being exposed, given all you know about the the mechanisms uh, and and the the physics of um, Wi-Fi radiation, do you think exposure to Wi-Fi could make their symptoms worse? Yes, I think also even the side effects from the vaccines, because the the what so-called vaccines, the injections are leading. Uh, are actually helping produce in the body this spike protein, uh, at least the mRNA and DNA um, type vac- vaccines, as they call them. But they're not really vaccines. It's a, mm-hmm. a form of gene uh, therapy, so they say. But okay, the spike protein is one of the most toxic parts of the virus. And in fact, it's doing a lot of the damage. And um, these injections are leading to blood clots, um, and uh, other strange clots, and a host of neurological and heart problems from myocarditis to other heart attack and stroke. So there's a, a slur of, of of bad side effects that really it should have been taken off the market uh, a long time ago. And amazingly, it hasn't been. But now people who have been vaccinated are suffering more COVID infections, repeatedly, in fact. Well, the kind of Uh, First of all, the kind of immunity that these injections render is not appropriate. Uh, In other words, it's it's all about boosting antibodies, so to say, to a spike protein, which is one of the most mutatable aspects of a virus. The external uh, proteins on a virus, that's the spike proteins on the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And that's the thing that's mutating. And so they're, they're using that protein only. Um, to try to make people resistant. And all people can do is make an antibody to a single COVID protein. And of course, then the virus goes on to mutate um, and change its spike protein. And then they have to make a new vaccine. That's not a sensible way to make a vaccine. No. <laughs> and of course, people who've had the, the infection have much deeper immunity because they've seen all the proteins of the COVID virus and they've made antibodies and cellular immunity to the whole thing and not just a tiny piece. So um, so I think that uh, sadly, we have a, a couple of things going on. First of all, the immunity to the virus is very poor from these vaccines and very short term because antibody production will will go away in a few months. Uh, and you're not building cellular immunity at all. And that's really what you need. You need the memory of uh, this thing 
And you need a broader spectrum immunity, and you don't get that with this type of vaccine. So, yes, they're going to get repeated infections from all the variants out there. Whereas those of us, um, but do you think that um, stepping away from or reducing the exposure to to artificial radio frequency radiation, one might, um, uh, you know, one might help symptoms you know might mitigate symptoms and and you might feel better or worse depending on how much radiation you're exposed to is it, is it yes. something that 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 people might want to try absolutely uh, not because, well? because my paper still stands that the symptomatology there's a great overlap between covid uh, covid19 and uh, what microwaves are doing to us in terms of adverse health effects and they're going to exacerbate one another. And so reducing exposure makes perfect sense. But it's so insensible to get these injections that are not based on solid science, despite what yes, we're I, told. I mean, I, I believe they have that, the science. I know. believe that most people are, are really not uh, taking them anymore. So I think it, that message has got through that they're not safe and um, they shouldn't be used and they're not fit for purpose. So um, I, I think it's really just now, you know, what we can do to help people who have taken them and who wish to to restore themselves, you know, to full health and and um, and boost their immunity and and reduce the the ill effects. So um, so thank you for that advice. What can people do to protect themselves from five G and and wireless radiation? Well, there are several things people can do. Uh, because clearly the activism has not put an end to the 5G uh, deployment. Uh, sadly, I, I know many people who were activists, and uh, unfortunately, it seems that their work was unheard. Uh, laws were made that really circumvented activism. So 5G is being deployed, and that's a word the industry chooses. That's also a military term, mm -hmm. deployment. Um, and so what can we do for ourselves? Well, we need to know our exposure. And I always tell people, get a small handheld meter for microwaves. This is often called a tri-field meter because you can measure electric fields, magnetic fields, as well as the radio frequencies or microwaves. And uh, unfortunately, the meters don't go above 8 gigahertz. And 5G will go up to about 90 or 95 gigahertz. And so, actually, my laboratory is working on a meter for the people. If you really want to measure those very high frequencies of 5G, right now you need a very expensive military equipment. So, it's really important to know your exposure. And people say to me, well, if I have my router here and my cell phone here and my wireless keyboard and mouse, how am I doing? And I say, you know, I can't really say much about that because it depends upon uh, the various materials in your home office or your school. You need to measure what you can, uh, but you really need to reduce your exposure. And that means returning to wires whenever possible. Get a wired mouse and a wired keyboard. It's really silly to have a, wi a wireless mouse and keyboard at your desktop computer station because you're not running around the home with it. And try to use wires. In other words, can you get fiber optics to the premises? Fiber optics is one of the ways of delivering the 5G, which is completely safe. But unfortunately, they don't offer it in every place. 
But we can take control of what's our environment. We can return to wires whenever possible. We can get wired landlines instead of the wireless phones, which are frankly even worse than your cell phone in terms of the radiation output, even when you're not using it. And something else we can do is known as earthing or grounding. And that is uh, going out in nature barefoot, uh, sitting on the sand on the beach or walking barefoot on grass or dirt or even touching plants outdoors is is a ground, grounding experience for our bodies. And that returns us to natural frequencies, which are life-sustaining and away from these technical frequencies, which are life-thwarting. So we must practice grounding or earthing. And there are some devices that you can get, for example, to ground your ankle while you're sitting at a computer uh, and ground it outdoors uh, through the window or even to the electrical ground in your home and grounding sheets. Uh, you can get a canopy for your bed that will shroud you from a lot of microwaves. And there's also protective clothing such as shirts and hats that have silver threads in them and help block microwaves. But nothing is 100% protective. And I want to especially warn people uh, against the many devices out there that are being sold, and they may get a false sense of security that by placing, say, a sticker, some sticker that someone's selling on the backside of their cell phone, uh, they think they're safe, and then they can hold the phone to their ear and have a conversation. And frankly, I don't know how many of these devices work, and I don't see that they're well-tested. And even even if they are tested on one aspect of our health, um, maybe brainwaves, uh, what are they doing to the blood? Or if they're tested on the blood, what are they doing to the brainwaves that we don't know? So people have to be aware that there are a lot of so-called protective devices on the market that may give them a false sense of security if if they employ them. They have to be beware of this. And take a look at whether the devices have um, independent scientists that have done studies and published them in peer-reviewed journals. That's one criteria that I would look for, because very often they're just studied by the companies in-house, and those companies have, of course, a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. They want to sell devices. Um, and so the buyer has to be aware of what they're getting, and certainly never think that you're getting total protection with any of these methods. We're all exposed to microwaves everywhere, and we're all at risk. The best thing that we can do is control our own environment in our homes and schools and businesses. And by the way, that seems to be also the greatest source of the radiation that's coming at us. So we can take control of this in our own environments. And maybe we can't control the antennas and the satellites out there, but at least we have the power uh, to eliminate or uh, at least reduce the wireless in our immediate environments. I do think it's increasingly difficult, though, just going out and about in any city because it's, you know, there's all the spaces seem to, you seem to be able to access Wi-Fi. And often, you know, if you're waiting for a bus, on a bus or whatever, you know, everybody's got their smartphones. They're all, the phones are all constantly searching the Wi-Fi, all the different apps. And so one, it's just, uh, as you used the word super earlier, and it just feels like, um, potentially one is, um, being bathed in, uh, an immeasurable amount of 
uh, of wireless radiation, um, just going about one's daily business. So um, I, I just wondered, you know, do you feel that um, there's a there's a chance for humanity that we can get back on track? Um, and because uh, I get a sense that um, that you you're quite worried about the um, the, the, the vaccines and Wi-Fi, five uh, G. Um, what do we need to do to um, to uh, thrive in 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 the future? <laughs> I think we can thrive. I think one of the things we need to do is turn off the television because the mainstream media is uh, leading us astray. Sadly, it was um, infiltrated or taken over by uh, certain powers that are giving a false narrative about uh, our situation and creating a lot of fear. And so we've got to step away from that and come together, people united, and listen to another drummer, so to speak, and go within and really just test these the ideas that we're hearing and try to make sense out of them to figure out what's what's real and what's true. And I think we can do this collectively better than one-on-one. -on -one. So that really people come our people are coming together now um, in conferences such as the one you're going to host and um in many groups, in many new nonprofits, in many new platforms for uh, disseminating true information. So I'm hopeful that people are getting another message and are coming together to uh, even actuate new career paths that will build a new world around us. So I think that uh, we can overcome this, but it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of um, new information outlets that we need to build and and um, vet to be certain we're we're hearing the truth. Dr. Rubik, thank you very much for that message of hope and for reminding me that I'm going to have the pleasure of meeting you in person in June at the Better Way Conference in Bath. So I hope many people listening to you today will be um, will be keen to to come and meet you in person, but also that they'll be able to join online if um, if they aren't able to come in person to Bath in June. So uh, thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to continuing the conversation um, and um, in June and beyond. Thank you for all your work. Thank you. It's my pleasure. If you find something of value in these Test Talks videos, please consider supporting their production by making a donation or becoming a paid subscriber to our Substack. Thank you.